Hello and welcome to episode 212 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and we're here for an extremely off-the-cuff, spur-of-the-moment podcast that was basically planned 72 hours ago. But uh, before we get into all of those details, let's introduce the rest of the panel, starting with Joe Padilla. Howdy. And Hilary Andreth. Hi. And Catherine Courtbelly. Whoop whoop. Now, Kat, we had a bit of a dialogue Sunday afternoon. <laughs> um, and uh, this this will be maybe uh, 10 days or 11 days before we release this episode. But uh, Sunday afternoon, we were hosting our Extra Life streams on the RPG Fan Twitch channel. And you were streaming, I think mostly Earthbound, uh, for 7 or 8 hours. Is that about right? Yeah, it was 6 and a half because okay. I had minor... No, 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 we, we, we can round up, call it 7. Yeah, you, okay. you, you, you're under 7. Get my credit. Yeah, 6 and a half was a lunch break. Um, <laughs> getting paid for 7. So you were, you were streaming Earthbound for uh, at least uh, most of your seven-hour stream, and I was watching it for uh, a- about two hours or so, because I-, I, was- I was all over the place on that Sunday. You were, uh, you were interacting with the audience. You were having a good time. I saw you go through the Diamond Mine and through part of Moonside and a little bit past there. Um, I think I don't remember exactly what you said, but you're, but it was something like, oh, I love this game. I could talk about it all day, something like that. And, yeah, then, I- and, and then I responded in the chat, huh, that sounds like a podcast. And then you responded, "Let's Sorry. effing do it, yeah! Let, 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 let's let's, pod, let's podcast right now." And I said, "Okay, okay, give me a couple days." And <laughs> uh, and here we are. Um, this episode is going to be officially called Earthbound Revisited because we did two episodes on Earthbound in 2017, but um, messing around on the Extra Life stream, I think, merited a, uh, a another look at this cult classic, really unique, weird game. Um, now, Hillary, your turn. Uh, you were on that 2017 podcast with me. I was. And uh, I think it was my first time podcasting with you. I- I'd have to check the grand list to make sure, but uh, um, that was a no, pretty good time, right? Right. Yeah, it was. It was my very first one. I- I'm pretty sure I'd only been on the site for a little under six months at that point, so I think I had to like check and make sure it was okay for me to already be on a podcast even. Sure, and I... um. But yeah, that was, I think, my first time speaking to you, Hillary, and uh, that was a fun podcast to record because Earthbound is just so unique and weird and very special to a lot of people. Uh, In the 1990s, we didn't get every single Super Nintendo or Super Famicom RPG that came out, and uh, and the ones that did come out uh, really became cult hits in uh, in places uh, all over the world outside of Japan. So Earthbound is a standout RPG both because... The selection was a little limited, and because it's so unique and weird, um, I, I think it was the only RPG I played around that time that even was a facsimile of a modern world that wasn't strictly fantasy or or sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, but it gets into some fantastical and science fiction elements anyway. Um, but let's talk about how about our Earthbound personal histories a little bit, as I am wont to do on this podcast. Uh, Joe, what was your first exposure to Earthbound, and uh, how and What's your overall feeling on it? So, like many people, um, likely, my first experience with Earthbound was seeing Ness in Super Smash Bros. Um, and I was like, oh, I really like this character's design. And I feel ancient. Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, the first, the first Smash Bros, because he was on the first one. So that was like nine, that was late 90s. Yeah, that was nine, 99, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um so i really so i really liked his design and everything and i didn't know anything about earthbound and 
so this, this might make you feel ancient, but I just, I played Earthbounds um, earlier this year for the uh, first time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, okay. As basically like every RPG that I will be talking about on on retro will be in other conversations joe you have also told me about how recently you uh played certain rpgs in my childhood so i i was expecting to feel old that time yeah (laughs) okay okay well at least the expectations there um so so i finished it um so i finished it earlier this year um and absolutely loved it um of the snes games that i have played um this one is my favorite i absolutely adore it that's a big honor there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Kat, your turn. Um, when did you first play Earthbound, and what's your overall feeling about it? I, I, when you did the stream on Sunday, which, again, was uh, maybe two Sundays ago at the time of this posting, um, it was definitely not your first rodeo. Oh, no. For myself, I probably played it when I was about six. I was a very um, big tomboy when I was younger, so whatever my older brother did, I did as well. So he's kind of the one who got me to the gamer I am today. But my brother would always play the video games, and I would sit there and watch him. So when my brother had gone to Blockbuster, they actually had Earthbound with the box there. I still remember it to this day. I yeah, it was like it was like a du- it was like a double sized box with like a, yep. a a Starman and a rainbow around mm-hmm. it. They had that in the section for SNES games. Mm-hmm. And so when my brother had rented it, I pretty much just loved the characters. I loved the graphics, but I did not play games right away. I had the weird phobia that I did not like dying in games. Oh, so hmm. that's why I didn't jump onto it till probably about, I was about seven or eight or so then. And it was either, I still can't recall, if it was Earthbound was my first ever game I've completed or if it was Lufia 2. I don't recall, but one of the two is a prized possession and pretty much from where Earthbound is taking me, I can always plug it up, play it again, never gets old. All right, and uh, with apologies to Hillary, I think I'll go next because that this is getting me thinking about the first time I played Earthbound. Um, my first RPG was Final Fantasy IV, but at the time I thought it was called Final Fantasy II. It was, on, it was the North American Super Nintendo version. And <laughs> I was sort of blown away by RPGs. Like, I mean, I had played a bunch of NES games by then, but this was not a run, jump, shoot, attack game like a Mario or a Mega Man. This was a game that had a big story focus and multiple char- characters and strategizing and all this stuff. So I was really fascinated by RPGs and was renting or borrowing or saving up for as many as I could as I could manage when I was, um, say, in the age eight to twelve range in the uh, in the mid nineties. And so. Um, this I don't know exactly when this would have been. Probably in the ninety-five, ninety-six range. Um, one of my friends had a copy of Earthbound and knew I was getting into RPGs, and he's like, "This is my favorite game of all time, and it's an RPG from Nintendo. You need to play it." So he lent it to me for a couple of months, and uh, I got pretty far, but didn't finish. But was really confused and a little bewildered by what this game was was presenting. So I gave it back to him and said, I, I said, I, I don't know how much longer I'm going to keep this. I don't want to steal this from you. And, 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 but I was still not maybe haunted is too strong a word, but I was definitely affected by what I had played at, at the tender age of probably 11. So I, uh, <laughs> I eventually did, um, find my own copy. I think it was used at a Funko land and, uh, and played it through to the end myself and I even borrowed the guide that he had with his game, which, which was, it was a really cute guide. It was like styled like a newspaper or a magazine. 
but like as if it was in the Earthbound universe. It was. I, I don't. I think it might have come with his uh, original copy of the game. I'm not 100 percent sure about that. And beat it for the first time somewhere in the range of 96, 97. And it's a really unique special RPG, and I that I've beaten exactly three times. Um, that first time. Uh, on the on the Super Nintendo, then once when I was emulating every Super Nintendo and NES game known to man in the early two, in the early two thousands, and then a third time for the podcast two years ago that Hillary and I uh, um, spoke to spoke together on. So I think this is a really weird, cool, special game that is absolutely worth a whole podcast miniseries. So Hillary, it's your turn now. Um, when did you first play Earthbound, and how has it stuck with you over the years? So my experience is kind of a mixture of yours and Kat's, honestly, because I had some early experiences with it. I played, I think my friend and his older brother played some, too. So I saw most of the game that way when I was younger. And then I played it again for the podcast. And it it really has stuck with me, just noticing the differences between that first time I, I played it and the second time. It just... I think I got some different things out of it because it is such a weird, unique game and there are so many layers to it. So I think I got some different things out of it, but it was no less interesting the second time. One thing Kat mentioned uh, when she was describing Earthbound was it it had a very unusual art style. It, al- it almost looks like it's done in crayons or something because it's, it's a lot of like sort of bold lines and colors like a... Uh, I don't know, like like a like a comic strip, and it's not stylized anime or stylized fantasy art. Um, one uh, games oh. one games writer that I uh, who was work I enjoy describes Earthbound as a combination between the Cthulhu Mythos and the Charlie Brown and Snoopy show, which is uh, which is one simile that has really stuck with me over the years of following games journalism. But uh, but uh, but I think that there's something there. Um, like playing it as a child, you'll probably know the bo- notice the bold colors and the setting that seems like modern America. You know, there, there's people driving cars and buses, and your weapons are baseball bats and frying pans. W- but then, you, with Hillary's read, you notice all of the weird nuance and the uh, the um, and some of the topics it addresses definitely more easily as an adult than as a child. I think that part of it is the interactions you have with the enemies because not all enemies are fierce, ferocious. They are actually rather cute and enjoyable. And some I can have uh, nightmares from because of all the encounters and struggles the game can give you sometimes. Yeah, the enemy encounters aren't there's a monster and you have to defeat it a lot of the time. Sometimes it's a uh, you know an angry snake and when you beat it, it becomes tame. And sometimes it's just... A weird person that is acting a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like cranky, uh, cranky ladies. Yeah, yeah, cranky lady turned back to normal. The new age retro <laughs> hippie chilled out. That kind of thing. It's it's it, it, these enemy encounters are weird. Uh, Joe, what was one element of Earthbound that stuck out to you early? Um, I think what stuck out to me would probably be the. It reminded me of. Uh, the Cthulhu mythos. I also kind of felt Twin Peaks from it, um, just sure, in yeah. the way it's in the way its world was designed. And just when I'm playing games, there aren't a whole lot of them where I'm just like, you know, it might merit a chuckle or something like that. Like, huh, that was funny. Um, but I had some moments where I really, you know, laughed pretty hard at some moments, like the, um, like when you interact with Orange Kid and Apple Kid. Oh um, my gosh! Yes. Which is just so so funny, like the you know the pencil eraser 
that, that just that, erases, that erases pencils, pencils mm-hmm. or uh, <laughs> the phone that's on that only receives calls, <laughs> um, or or the trout flavored yogurt. Like it's just it's so wonderfully off kilter. It has this it has this sense of humor that um, I think just kind of imbues it with this um, complexity to it that I find so striking and I think it makes the more kind of complex philosophical streams that it goes down even more um, important because it's it has it already has these shades of comedy to it as well yeah and um, going back to the visual design and the comedy even the most powerful monsters in the game like a you know, dangerous aliens or giant dinosaurs or dragons will seem crudely drawn li- like they were a child. They have, like, they have, like, silly lined faces on the dinosaurs like they're a, li- like a whooper from Pokemon or something. The game is deliberately cartoony and childish and goes into some rather sophisticated themes and dark places that seem out of place. Again, like Charlie Brown and Friends meets the, uh, meets the Cthulhu mythos. But uh, we were mentioning this before the podcast, and I think I mentioned it, Hillary, in the podcast two years ago. My favorite dumb joke in the whole game is when you're fighting uh, five moles who are equal level and equal strength, but you have to defeat all five to uh, um, in, the, in the diamond mine to make it safe for the miners. And uh, each one of them firmly believes that it is the third strongest of the group. And I, it's, it's like, I, like, why are you saying that? Why don't they all think they're the strongest? Or why don't, why, why, why don't they all think they're the weakest and have a and have a inferiority complex? No, they're all <laughs> deeply entrenched in their belief that they are the third strongest mole. And I don't know why that's. I don't know why it's so hilarious to me, but it absolutely is. Like, like they all want to be third strongest, and I found that yep. hilarious twenty years ago and two years ago. <laughs> Hillary or Kat, do you have a favorite joke or a favorite comedy moment in the game? So I don't know if it's just me or something. So you know when you go to um, Monotoli and you're taking that elevator up, usually when you talk to the operator, the female there, mm-hmm, for yeah. some reason, mm-hmm. I don't know why, but sometimes when you talk to her, she would give you sass and Ness would just turn away or look another direction as you're going <laughs> up. I don't know why that always gets me. He doesn't do it sometimes, but when he does after her smart comment, I just smile like, oh my gosh. I don't think that elevator operator is a, is a job in North America the same way it is in Japan because having like an office lady in a cute dress working the elevator for people is a thing over there somehow. In Persona 3, um, Elizabeth is a weird um, right yeah yeah yeah. she's in a, a sort of an exaggerated parody of an elevator girl and there is a uh oh in, in some anime that i watched years ago oh, never mind i remember it was bleach there was a there was a monster mm-hmm. in bleach that was uh that was paradising an elevator operator and and saying what the things they were they were supposed to do so yeah earthbound even takes japanese elevator operators and takes it to an absurd degree <laughs> i love it hillary do you have a do you have a joke or a, a comedic moment that is worth bringing up some of the enemies, we've already kind of talked about that, but I never get tired of seeing, like, the mad ducks, the cute little <laughs> UFOs. <laughs> the cute little UFOs will F you up over in the uh, the, the, yeah, the first time. Yeah, that's in that's in uh, Peaceful Rest Valley? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. They give you cold. The beginning of the... I think the hardest part of Earthbound is the first two hours. Oh, I, I, mm-hmm. I was yeah. waiting for the topic to come up. Yeah, I was um, waiting for this. 
I think we I think we probably did yeah. talk about it two years ago, but because it's, yeah, because it's just Ness, and because you know his limited PP is a factor, like especially towards the end of your your one party adventure before Paula joins the uh, Happy Happy Village Peaceful Rest Valley era is pretty challenging. Like if you're not really really careful. Mm-hmm. Or retreat at the right times, you could you can get murked in in before yeah, you get, hit the ninety minute mark. That's why I found it funny when you were talking about um, how you had the game for months. It made me think: Did he get stuck? Did, can no, I, I, I did. Get, I did. I, no, I did get stuck at an extremely stupid part. And you uh, you'll laugh at me for this. I'm, I'm not sure if I talked about it two years ago, but there's a point um, right after Paula joins. Where you're supposed to give a and you, you get a wad of cash from the yep. from the dude that lives in the in the yeah, park. Everdread. Yeah, Everdread. And you're supposed to give it to the guy at the theater to release the <laughs> the Runaway Five from their uh, from their contract. And I didn't realize that when you when you give him the money and you're and you're talking to him from the front, he he says, "Hmm, let me take a closer look at that" or something like that. And what you're supposed to do is come over to the side and show yep. it to him. And uh, and and they do that so that they can have the cutscene with the Runaway Five all approaching the dude from the front. They just basically want you out of the way of the of the characters that are about to join. I think I didn't figure that out at all and gave the game back to my friend. Oh my goodness! Oh no! So I, so I I leveled up Paula to twelve or something, just trying to find the way out of Peaceful Rest Valley with both characters in my party. And, uh, and, 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 like, and probably, and probably listen to that bus jam getting through, the, not the Runaway 5 bus, the normal bus, trying to get through the ghost tunnel probably a dozen times. You should mention that, because I can see how that would be confusing. And that also brings up the point of, yeah, I think one of the things that's really annoying about Peaceful Rest Valley is you have to go through it twice, once with yeah. just Ness, and then the second time, Paula is probably lower level and likely to I think be she in starts trouble. she starts at like level 1 or 5 or something like and mm-hmm. that that teddy bear she gives you is a yeah. is a godsend because it's <laughs> because like Paula will die. <laughs> yep. The other thing I wanted to mention the tea and coffee moments with the Mr. Saturns. I love oh. those. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if like coffee sends uh Ness and Co into that weird trance because Coffee's for adults. <laughs> uh, one one thing that one thing that I think persists in Earthbound a little bit, and if I'm completely insane and wrong about this, please tell me. Is that I think a lot of the time it's children interacting with adults, and sort of the and you're from the perspective of four children, like the adult everything that the adults say is seems completely foreign or completely ridiculous. Like like when you're in a when you're yeah. in, when you're in summers and you go to that club and all of the adults are having just me- meaningless terrible conversations. That that feels like being a kid at a dinner party at your house and not being 1% interested in anything the adults are saying. Oh my yeah, gosh. I think- the- that has the best line in, or at least my favorite line in the game, though. Oh, oh yeah, you... they say so many absurd things in that uh, in that sort of museum cafe or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. What's the line? The you talk to one guy and he goes, "You guys can't envision the final collapse of capitalism. Incredible." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I almost fell out of my seat laughing when I saw that because like just <laughs> everything about that, you know, there's the scro- the scrolling of the lines with the little. Um, sound effects to it, and I just I thought it was hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Earthbound, you know, is not the biggest fan of capitalism, but oh boy, Mother Three, when you get to that thing, the the whole the whole thing yeah. is a is a feels like a critique of capitalism. 
Yes, I've I've heard uh, on the previous episode, Rob Fenner uh, described it as a Marxist manifesto. <laughs> Maybe, um, um... which uh, which is something that I'm. Uh, if anyone were to look at my bookshelf, I would be uh, very interested in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it is worth uh, talking a little bit about um, the creators around Mother Mother, or one person in particular, Shigesato Itoi. Uh, yep. He is a really interesting guy. He was a newspaper editor and website editor, uh, a copywriter and sort of essayist and columnist. He was basically a celebrity writer in Japan um, whose career began in the late 70s or early 80s. And um, he reached out to Nintendo because he was, I, I think he like played a bass fishing game or something and, uh, and like thought it could be made better. And the Nintendo's reaction was like, why is a celebrity writer talking to us? But he's interested in game development, so let's, let's have a meeting with him. And he basically ended up making two games on the NES for them, another bass fishing game <laughs> and and Mother One, which was, you know, basically a, a, an RPG, a, a not much beyond a Dragon Quest clone, but with a lot of really interesting visual themes and ideas about with including, you know, Americana images and UFOs and... Uh, and and some real moments of darkness. Like Mother One is more interesting to re- more interesting to read about than actually play. The less we talk about that, the better. But then um, the sequel, Mother Two, uh, which we know as Earthbound, came about five years later, and that's a special game that resonated with a lot of people, which we've already made clear less than thirty minutes in. And uh, about about a decade later, finally made Mother Three for the Game Boy Advance, and that game goes some places, but we don't need to um, go there. But it, but anyway, it's it's a little weird because Etoy is a genuinely interesting writer who has a lot to say and he also was a um celebrity guest judge on one episode of iron chef which makes him uh which puts him which which puts him in the pantheon of great japanese uh celebrities as far as i'm concerned he he has a lot to say in these in these three narrative games that he made i'm i'm not counting his bass fishing game as being a critique of capitalism the same way mother three is um and uh, and he but he was a lot he was willing to poke fun at himself the, like you can visit the uh, the APE headquarters in Foreside which was the company he founded just to make Mother One and Two right and uh, and and there's a uh, I think before the Diamond Mine segment if you when you're going through the desert area you can mm-hmm. find a bunch of um, people around where the mi- Diamond Mine is later in the game and there's a and there's a a, a bunch of reporters and news people there. Uh, and and uh, Robert Fenner's told this story much more eloquently than I will now, uh, in, two years ago in the previous episodes. But um, that's Itoi making fun of himself because he was certain that he had found the location of a famous buried Japanese treasure and uh, brought a bunch of press and, uh, and even a, a TV crew out, out to, to dig it up and, and have a big reveal to the world. But they found nothing. And uh, he became a little bit of a, uh, of a laughingstock for that reason. So he was making fun of himself with, the, with some of the dialogue around that dig site in the, in the oh. desert. I did so, not know that, but that is really interesting. Yeah, so Itoi is this guy who was, does not come from game development, but is a, uh, but is a renowned writer of many subjects, but wanted to tell his absurd semi-morality play through an RPG in the late 80s, early 90s. And, and Earthbound is the first good result of this, because, again, Mother 1 sucks. But that he was able to poke fun at himself and tell these weird jokes and do things that no other game had done in, in, uh, before in Earthbound is extremely interesting to me. <laughs> And Earthbound has weirdly become part of Nintendo lore because it was a uh, it's a cult hit over multiple continents. I mean, look at the community at Starman.net, which is a 
<laughs> extremely dedicated group of, of fans. Holy crap. And, uh, wonderful. <laughs> and, and Ness was able to find his way into Super Smash Brothers in 1999. Earthbound has legs, even though it really didn't come from a regular video game path and is, uh, and, and had a sort of a non-game developer as its chief writer. It's a, it's, it's weird. But let's go back to actually talking about the game for a minute. Um, I don't want to go through, uh, the plot of the game moment by oh, moment. No. Because we we did that two years ago, and that's not what we're here for. Uh, uh, Kat, when you played it recently on stream... Yes. uh, Around how far did you get, and what part maybe surprised you the most, or or, or was the the most memorable to you? Oh, this is going to be great. Okay, so we had streamed Earthbound for Extra Life this past weekend. I was about to face the Kraken a second time because even though it's my favorite creature in the game, it kicked my ass because it did that one poisonous gas or something, Mm. and I lost two characters. One got poisoned or something, and it just sucked. But... One of the, I guess, funny moments from the playthrough that we had streamed for RPG Fan was I was going against one of Sanctuaries. I was going against Shroom. And at, during my battle, I had lost um, Paula and Jeff. And, and I, I, I'm going to pause you for a second. Um, the boss is not called Shroom. It's called Shroom. Oh, I, <laughs> I apologize. There's, there's at least six or seven O's, and I think an exclamation point in the official text of the game. <laughs> well, he also smells like mushrooms. I'll sniff here too, so that is unique. <laughs> Anywho, so during the battle, just lost Paula and Jeff against Shroom, and I was Better. just like, you know, you know what, chat? Forget it. I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm going to smash A, and I smash A so hard that when I heard that fading music. It shocked me because I had lost all my PP. He X'd out my PP and I had one HP. <laughs> that was an accomplishment of just closing my eyes and praying to the RNG gods that I could do. This. You, mu- you might have been helped by your guts a little bit because the gut stat affects how quickly you lo- yeah. your HP scrolls down after you get hit and sometimes randomly leaves you with one. Well, if my eyes are closed. I couldn't tell. Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe you were saved by, by time or maybe you were saved by guts, but, but you, you won regardless. Yes, it was a great moment. Oh, I, I I wasn't around for that. I, I'm I'm sad I missed that. Um, uh, Steph, yeah. uh, plan on clipping that for RPG fans so you can see it. She may already have, um, I, but uh, but that 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 sounds crazy. Um, and, I mean, and I, and in Magicant, you do fight more Krakens, so it, it all just comes back go. to. But I I think that's the only shroom in the whole game. Yeah, the Krakens are so adorable. I love them. <laughs> But this, that was a memorable boss encounter for you this time. Uh, Joe, do you have a favorite boss or enemy in the game that uh, to your memory? I don't know if you call it a boss or an enemy, but when uh, Pooh is in uh, is in Dalam and uh, his ancestor is uh, kind of psychically uh, stealing his limbs and eyes and senses, mm-hmm. um, I found that super uh i found that super interesting and also extremely terrifying yeah um but yeah, i was it, i was confused and scared playing that as a preteen i, I thought it was it, i thought it was a pretty fascinating just dropping in like oh here's a here's a meditation technique of self erasure um set to this kind of terrifying background and the slowly creeping music 
Uh, I really like that. <laughs> surprisingly, yeah. um, I think that's. I think that was a really um, fascinating moment. Other than the final, other than the final boss, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, you know, what I actually yeah. think is one uh, part of the game. I think is low key one of the scariest parts of the game. That maybe won't be very high in other people's list. But when you're going through the haunted mall and being attacked by the furniture, it's a bit of a difficulty spike. <sighs> and, it, um, and I think it took me by surprise a little bit because I had sort of coded into my head that the shopping areas were safe places. And then this one yeah. very quickly becomes unsafe. And maybe you haven't stayed at the hotel recently because you weren't expecting this kind of thing. So like a surprisingly... <sighs> dark, weird, challenging part of the game in an area that I thought was safe is like, I don't know if I would have been more shocked if I had been playing Diablo and then I suddenly got murdered in Tristram. It was a... Uh, uh, that, that, that part of the game freaked yeah. me out a little bit. And when I replayed it a couple of years ago for the podcast, I had completely forgot about that part of the game and was dangerously close to dying before getting to the uh, end segment. I, I think that's when... I think that's right. when you're first introduced to Moonside or it's like right before the Moonside stuff happens. Um. Yeah, it, it's um, pretty much. Gosh, I'm trying to remember myself. I yeah, just... I, I don't. I don't have a table of contents in front of me, so I'm I'm half remembering this. I think. I think, despite all the terror in the game, though, and any of the nightmares we might have, uh, I don't think any of them are probably as severe as uh, as Reggie Fils Aimé's nightmares of fanboys screaming at him about Mother Three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, localized Mother Three's outcry got so loud and annoying. I, yeah, I, I wasn't ever necessarily part of that outcry, but I was at least curious. Like, why don't they just freaking do it? Just to just to silence all of these annoying haters. Like, <laughs> I, like I mean, even if it would be an expensive project, I mean, this is really annoying. <laughs> I would I would at least ask for a feasibility study on it or something. It has to be at least out of some amount of spite at this point. Yeah, maybe. like just just a, like a little bit because it's just so funny at this point because he can't really go out and like Reggie still can't really go out in public without someone asking him. About I it. I think that Lucas, <laughs> the main character of Mother Three, has literally been in four Super Smash Brothers games uh, that yeah. got that got worldwide releases and mm-hmm. has not had his game uh, re- get world a worldwide release. Well. While almost the opposite happened for the Fire Emblem characters, because yeah. <laughs> uh, Fire Emblem uh, was six games in when uh, um, Super Smash Brothers Melee came out, and mm-hmm. uh, Marth is the main character of the first Fire Emblem game, and Roy is the main character of the sixth Fire Emblem game, and mm-hmm. uh, and the interest in Fire Emblem just from those guys allegedly sparked enough interest in Nintendo to translate the seventh Fire Emblem game, which was a GBA game that was just localized as Fire Emblem and stars uh, Roy's father, Elliewood. But uh, never mind. We, we talked about uh, Fire Emblem for over two hours, uh, about a month or a month and a half ago. So I'm, I'm Fire Emblemed out already in an Earthbound podcast. So back to Earthbound. Um, yeah, they should localize Mother 3. There and there we we we, we solved story. Yeah, we solved no the more, problem. Yep. No more Mother Three. Exactly. <laughs> I say that, but we've thought about doing Mother Three on the podcast before. We at least talked about it, but uh, so um, <laughs> listeners, it is a possibility going forward, but we have no immediate plans about it. So um, let's see. We were talking about funny things and scary things, and oh yeah, favorite boss encounters. Um, I mean, staying in Moonside a little bit. Uh, how about that cute, clumsy little robot? <laughs> oh. Why is something that looks so harmless one of the more challenging boss fights in the whole game? Why? 
Oh, I mean, it's also, too, he's clumsy, so some of his attacks don't go through because he loses his bolts or can't shoot right. So yeah, but, but sometimes, sometimes he'll hit you with, like, a nuclear laser or something insane that, that nearly kills your whole team. <laughs> yes. And you don't, you don't even really beat it. And you don't even really beat him. I think, you're, I think you have to survive, like, eight or ten turns or something, and then Runaway 5 comes in and says, yeah. hey, look, there's an off switch, and then they turn him off. Right. There's it's a huge element of luck involved with that mm-hmm. one. And speaking of of the Runaway Five, like I, I, I mean I guess Shigesato Itoi loves the blues the blues brothers, so he just straight up put them in his game. I mean just the music in general, there are so many shout outs. Yeah, I mean yeah, it's I mean they're basically playing Sweet Home Chicago in their performance in Tucson. But the uh, and they even changed the color of one of their uh, it, when it was localized for North America. They changed the color of one of their jackets because originally they were both in black suits and ties. But they realized that was maybe <laughs> that, that was maybe a little bit too similar to the Blues Brothers, and they didn't want to get sued. So they, so they changed so they changed one of them to a red suit instead of a black suit. Nice. Really, kind of fun to go back to the game now that I'm older and kind of catch all the little musical samples and snippets that they use. Because there's some, like, rags in the shops. And I think one of the cave themes samples the beginning of a Beatles song, like the first three Mm -hmm. or four notes. I think um, there's a there's a uh, convenience store in Japan that plays a that plays a sort of a jaunty tune as you go through, and both the convenience stores in Earthbound and the convenience stores in Persona Two have parody music of that exact song. (laughs) Yeah, the you you know which song I mean the that that one that one is a is making fun of a a Japanese convenience store chain. It's like I've heard that song so much, I can just hear it in my head, no music need, and then just have that tune going. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of interesting musical choices in this game in general. I think particularly about the, the battle, um, the battle one where it's just the upright bass with the bump, bum bump, bump. It's like, why usually, is this a battle theme? Yeah, usually that's for when you're fighting humans, I think. I definitely, you definitely fight that for when you're fighting Everdread and in Wynette when you're fighting uh, 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 Police Chief Strong, I think. Mm. Yes, it is. It sounds right. But yeah, it's, it's a really strange musical choice. It's like, it's, it's one of those, it, it's one of those battle themes that doesn't seem like it should be a battle theme. Like when you're, um, like, uh, oh, I don't know. I, I've had uh, SNK fighters on the brain since, um, since Terry Bogard was announced for uh, Super Smash Bros. <laughs> Ultimate. But, like, but when you're playing, like, uh, Real about Fatal Fury Two or something. Um, everyone has these normal, you know, jaunty fighting game music with heavy bass the, because of the Neo Geo sound system. But when you fight Wolfgang Krauser, suddenly opera starts playing. <laughs> so it's, it's like, why are they doing this? They, like, they just sometimes a musical choice feels so incongruous it becomes more memorable than a really good theme that otherwise would feel normal. That's I think one of the few musics, battle music that actually matched the character was a uh, Frankie. That that only time you hear that battle. Oh, <laughs> and the, the whole like retro '60s vibe with him in his uh, like jumpsuit—it totally suited his character. Like I love that. Yeah, I think Frankie is supposed to be kind of like the character Teddy in Mother One because he's also a greaser with sunglasses who fights with. Uh-huh. Uh, um, but but he's a he's just a regular person that joins your party. In my in my favorite manga series of all time, One Piece, there's a character named Frankie who also builds giant robots. Uh, and and has sunglasses and and crazy hair and I and I think that oh. I think the writer of One Piece probably played Earthbound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I never I never put that 
I never put those two together. But the, their names, yeah, their names are Frankie. They uh, they have a passing resemblance. The Frankie from One Piece actually looks even more like Teddy from Mother One. And uh, both both Frankies um, uh, create robots that they name after themselves. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. The more we know, I love it. Yeah, this is an influential game with unusual influences and unusual influencees. Um, because yes. if I were to think of a single RPG that uh, was the bi- that was one of the biggest, or if not the biggest, sensation of the entire 2010s, I would at least think about Undertale. And Undertale for yep. its uh, for its unusual choices and sort of absurdist tone, and it's it sort of and the places it goes, I-, I think that game is clearly influenced by Earthbound. Definitely. It's like a kind of a mashup of um, Earthbound with some SMT gameplay. And some rhythm game elements somehow. Yeah. Now, Kat, um, you might not know this, but before I think before any of the three of you joined the site, I streamed for RPG Fan, um, I think twice ever. Uh, when, we did, uh, when we did Extra Life in 2015, I... Uh, I played Undertale for the first time and beat it in one sitting. Oh, oh my God. Wow. Yeah. It took me about eight or eight and a half hours, uh, and I think I had one break around the middle. And I ended up making about 200 bucks for, uh, for, the, DC, um, for the DC hospital that Child's Play was supporting at that time. That's awesome. Oh, nice. I was I did not know how the, where the money came from. I, I I think my friends gave about forty bucks, but I had no idea where the where the rest happened. Um, and I was and and I was worried that like it was a bunch of strangers and all the checks would bounce or something. <laughs> but then a couple weeks oh. later, a couple weeks later at Thanksgiving, um, I was speaking to some of my cousins and they had all found they found my uh, stream announcement on Facebook, and uh, and they started they messaged each other and uh, uh, probably three quarters of the $220 or whatever it was mostly came from my family who wanted <laughs> who, 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 who saw me playing video games for a DC hospital charity and like, Oh, okay, let's, let's go and give Michael $30. That's That's awesome. good, good for him. So yeah, so That's I, uh, so, um, yeah, cat, uh, it all comes full circle. Uh, you streamed earthbound in 2019 and earthbound influenced undertale and going back in time, four years, I streamed undertale for child's play in 2015. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that, that, that was a nice diversion, but, uh, yeah, Earthbound, uh, Undertale, One Piece, goodness knows how many other RPGs and game creators, it's an influential game, uh, it, and, um, one, maybe I think, the, maybe the cutest musical choice, or my favorite musical choice in Earthbound, that is also one of the few things about Mother One that I like, is the unified song that you, that you build as you mm-hmm. play the game. Um, in, in Earthbound, and now, of course, all of you know this, but this is partially for my benefit, partially for the audience benefit. There are eight locations called Your Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And as part of the main quest, you have to find all eight. And it's, it's not always uh, obvious where to go. Like Some of them are slightly off, off the path. Every time you visit a new sanctuary, you get a... Uh, a little like maybe like eight beats of a song so like between two and five musical tones that are recorded in an item that you get early on called a soundstone and whenever you use the soundstone uh ness holds the item to his head and it plays all of the your sanctuary melodies chained together that you've obtained so far and and in mother one there's a similar thing that uh as you play through the game, you learn little melodies, and, and they're less obvious than in the Your Sanctuaries. Like, one is you, you find a bird, and you, and you write down what it was singing. And there's one part of the game where a robot is helping you, 
uh, navigate a difficult dungeon. And before the robot shuts off, it plays a melody that you remember. <laughs> it's, 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 it's Mother One's real weird. <laughs> but visiting each sanctuary and collecting pieces of music of music to play as a full song by the end of the game is a really adorable gimmick. I, I think it's just called Eight Melodies in Mother 1. And in Mother 2, the song is slightly different, but it's a... Uh, uh, oh, no, no. It's called Eight Melodies in every single game, but it's just, it's, it's just a little bit different in each game. So, yeah, your sanctuary and the eight melodies. Like, it, isn't that just really sweet? It is, honestly. Like, I honestly didn't know the connection of the songs being the pretty much almost final song of the game. So mm-hmm. I honestly did not know <laughs> until this moment the more specialty that they are about. And I think that, uh, I, I don't know exactly why the whole series is called Mother, but I think that part of it is, in all three games, the main character, like, is uh, is just a kid with a mom and a dad, and is just trying to navigate a strange uh, a, a strange world where nothing makes sense. Mm-hmm. But the but the idea of thinking back to your about your mom and just thinking about home, uh, is it like, like sort of keeps you going. That that's why homesickness is a stat in Earthbound that affects Ness sometimes. And and talking to your mom and and calling your dad are important parts of the game. And uh, when you learn each of the each of the melodies from the Your Sanctuary locations, Ness has an image of something from his childhood. Like, yeah. like, like, like mm-hmm. one of them, one of them is, is, is a, his dog is a puppy. One of them is a baby with a red cap. So I think like the sanctuary and these eight melodies are sort of tying to memory and Ness and how it sort of, it, it all comes back to like Ness's family and we're all part of mother earth kind of thing. Cause, cause there's an earth motif or planet motif, um, in the logo of mother and, and, and something that sort of hits home maybe towards the end of the game. Cause it, because in each of these games, you're ultimately saving the Earth from a threat that nobody really understands. So yeah, that was a that was maybe an unexpected path to take from uh, from talking about you know the uh, the songs and locations from Mother One and Two. Uh, do any of you guys have a specific part of the game we haven't talked about yet that you think we absolutely must get off of our chest before we end up closing uh, shop in about twenty or thirty minutes? For me, in terms of the your sanctuary uh, places, mm-hmm. the um, the pink cloud was really moving to me. Where Ness? Uh, oh yeah, um, uh, under um, sort of in the caves underneath uh, Dalaram or D- Daralam. I'm probably saying it wrong. Is it just Dalam? I think it's Dalam. Dalam, um, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it was it was really moving where he says that he's thinking about his uh, where he's thinking about his mother and what she's doing and. That was um, that was really moving to me. I was shedding a few tears <laughs> during that point. And as I had previously mentioned, the 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 final boss battle is right. Probably something that we that we have to talk about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we need to talk. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so Gigas is a alien threat from the future. And the characters in Earthbound have to travel forward in time to stop the to stop Gigas before he can destroy the past from the future. They they have to turn into robots. It's his own own thing. But the actual battle itself, Gigas is this like shapeless red and black embodiment of rage, and uh, eventually you can't really damage him anymore, uh, and have to just pray your way to victory. 
and, and the entire Earth praying alongside you is what's able to stop Gigas. But uh, famously, um, Itoi said in an, inter- in an interview sometime that he, his me- he has this horrible childhood memory of going to a movie theater and accidentally going into the wrong showing room. I don't remember what he thought he was seeing, but uh, he end- he ended up going to a movie that was a like a violent movie, and um, he and he accidentally witnessed a rape scene depicted on film, and that traumatized him. and And that childhood trauma is where he got like sort of just like the the, the dark imagery and the angry sounds that Gigas uh, terrifyingly broadcasts in his boss battle. <laughs> So yeah, that that was a, a dark thing to bring up in what otherwise looks like a happy game, uh, right? Charlie Brown and Snoopy show yeah. the RPG, of course. I agree. I think I think there was something um, there's something with that interview where like he had um, he had thought that that was what was occurring during the movie, and then he had he had looked at it years later, and um, it yeah, wasn't and, and it, it wasn't quite exactly as he described. Yeah, yeah, and it kind of played into his um, his thoughts on the perceptions of childhood in this game of kind of looking up at everything and things being a little bit hyper real or things not being quite what they seem when you have the eyes of an adult versus a kid, whether that be um, kind of uh, mystical, otherworldly, and a more positive thought or the the traumatizing um, uh, terror of, uh, of Gigas in it. And uh, some spoilers from Mother 1. Uh, the main character of that game is Ninten, who is a boy that basically looks exactly like Ness. And throughout the game, you find uh, letters left by your grandfather, who was an eccentric person that was living up by himself on a hill. And I, I don't remember all of this, because I, I tried to play Mother 1 over a decade ago and did not finish. Basically, uh, Ninten's grandfather finds a baby alien that was abandoned, and uh, but eventually has to give up the alien, or it's taken from him by uh, by by some shadowy government group or something. And uh, and it's implied that Gigas is the baby alien from Mother One, who 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 has, who has just been transformed by um, by abuse and trauma into a complete monster. Oh god! So it, it's uh, it's again, mother is much cooler to read about than it is to actually play, <laughs> and 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 uh, and there's interactions between Gigas and Ninten. It's uh, it's a major character, and it's um, I think it's supposed to come as a shock to the player that the alien that knew your grandfather and was maybe helpful at times from Mother One becomes this twisted apparition in 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 Mother Two, but again, I don't know uh, exactly enough about Mother One to perfectly make the connection um and i didn't learn about uh, gigas being in mother one until decades after i had played mother uh earthbound but yeah it's 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 a really weird place that it's uh i mean it's a bit of an ff form of a final fantasy four moment where everyone praying uh for your success is what is what uh lets you win in the end uh spoilers from a game from 1991 it, it's such a weird place a game that started out as you uh, just, just trying to leave home and going on and going on an adventure ends with you being transported into the future via robot and defeating a like some kind of horrible nightmare alien. Mm-hmm. And Damn. I just think thinking back right on that very last portion of the game, I remember being shocked by the transformation sequence too, like the process of the kids turning yeah. into robots. Not, it's, not it's, only... it's it's kind of a body horror moment. 
Yeah, God, like, like, yeah, yeah, it's giving me dentist office nightmares. Like thinking about that sound effect. And the fact, and it's not made any better by who is doing it. Oh yeah, um, Doctor Andonuts is not the most inspiring of uh of of scientific geniuses. Uh, I mean, although he is working with Apple Kid and Mr. Saturn. Right. <laughs> and also, uh, uh, shout out to Mr. Saturn, uh, because it's a whole civilization of, uh, of goofballs that look like they were drawn by a, uh, by a drunk toddler. And, and all, all of them <laughs> are, do. all of them are named Mr. Saturn. And it's very, very unclear which Mr. Saturn you're referring to at any moment. My favorite is still Dr. Mr. Saturn. You know what? Uh, you stay for free. <laughs> I, I I'm worried I made this exact joke two years ago, but I think I, yeah. but I think I think my favorite Mr. Saturn is wait for it, Mr. Saturn. <laughs> Ko. <laughs> they say oh, differently, so they say Ko. Yeah, oh, and, and they they, they write their dialogue is written differently too. Oh boy, boing. Stuff. Oh my goodness, I love it. Boing. Speaking of things in Earthbound that make you really think it's through the lens of a child, but yeah, the the Mr. Sand. Mr. Saturn handwriting. <laughs> it's big. It's very squiggly. It's harder to read. I think one of the cool things of Earthbound too is a lot of the NPCs have their own little smart comment or their dialogue. It's oh, they yeah. might use the same sprite, but they always have something to say. It's never the same message twice. Okay, sometimes it's the same message twice if if you talk to the same person over and over. But 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 but, but I do I do agree that the NPC side dialogue is um, often delightful in this game. Just just the writing is so uh, funny and absurd. And man, speaking of funny and absurd, and speaking of the final boss battle, which we were talking about a minute ago, um, mm-hmm. you know what I think is maybe the, the the single strangest journey in the entire game. I I hope you see where I'm going with this. Hmm. Oh. Moonside? No, I'm talking about Pokey. Oh my, yeah. Oh, what the? I mean, how about the, like, like, we're talking about how this game is sometimes just a child processing the world around them as something completely fantastical and absurd. How about one of the monsters you fight at the end of your journey is the most annoying child in the world, your next door neighbor. Like, like, <laughs> like, 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 maybe, like, like, imagine you're a kid and your next door neighbor is just someone you despise, rightfully so in this case, and of course they're the monster at the end of the game. <laughs> Pokey's journey... warped form. Yeah, yeah, Pokey's journey is every bit as crazy and dramatic as Ness's. Oh, he- yeah. He's an awful child who is uh, always complaining about things, always taking credit for stuff he didn't do just the worst even his knock on the door is horrible and uh he's the annoying kid next door at the beginning of the game and then when you're going through peaceful rest valley he is a member he he rises to power in a dangerous cult and then a little bit later as you go through foreside he's somehow rising in the ranks of this uh of this like cabal organization that's taking over the local government and then fast forward a little bit more and he is in a spider mech suit and is working for the alien invasion intent to destroy, intending to destroy like, the whole world. He right had, alongside Gaius. He had no childhood. He grew up way too fast. Yeah. I, I think maybe they were intend, uh, his name in English was intended to be Porky, but then they, yeah. local, they localized it as Pokey. Mm-hmm. Because he gets even, um, he shows up in Mother 3 and has even more pig-like features about him. Oh, boy. 
Yeah. Well, in um, I only I only kind of know about that because in in Smash Bros they have New Pork City. Yes, which is which, a, is which is a place yeah. in Mother Three. I think I think that's in Smash Brawl, right? Or maybe maybe we maybe uh, Smash Four. Um, I think yeah, it started in in Brawl. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds right. I'm not the biggest Smash scholar, but I I have known I've been you know known to uh, carry someone as DK and then just walk off the side of the stage. Yeah. And another thing that's a little bit heartrending at the end of the game is the main thing he talks about, and that you kind of discover a little bit about his motivation mm-hmm. for all of this, right. and all these <laughs> attempts he... to like screw others over and gain power for himself, or to keep himself safe. Yeah, like, he he's doing it completely out of of self presentation. I'm sorry, yeah. uh, com- he does it completely out of self preservation, and also I think out of a desire to be cooler than Ness. <laughs> oh yeah, there's oh yeah, there's that bit of it too. So, there, I mean, so <laughs> which, which which I mean, coming from a horrible child is a sensible motivation, but doesn't exactly endear him to me anymore. No, not at all. I mean, for anyone who's played Mass Effect, he's basically Saren from the first game. And does but... that does that make Gigas um, the the, uh, uh, the, the, the Saren's ship from the first game? Mm-hmm. That that would make him sovereign. Sovereign, yeah, yeah I couldn't remember the name. Right. Yeah, same same person, you know. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I don't know, Saren's a little bit handsomer than Pokey. Uh, yeah, yeah Saren... Saren, Saren's a snack. <laughs> uh, uh, for the uninitiated, Saren is an alien whose face is sort of insect-like and bird-like at the same time. Yep, 50% bird, 50% insect, 100% hot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> Give me that flying <laughs> bug type. Oh uh, God! This is not the time to talk about how how much I like the Turians, but just <laughs> oh my, it, it's just not not in, not in a weird way. Just uh, it just, is it is okay to have a crush of any flavor on Saren or Garrus. Z- zero judgment here. You know, I just want to sit around, read books, and snipe things with Garrus Vicarian. But anyway, okay, we have we have gone on so many tangents this episode um, <laughs> that it, it, it feels like an eighth grade algebra class. <laughs> so uh what else is there left to discuss we've talked about the remarkable journey of pokey the true main character of earthbound uh we've talked about mother oh, no, one no. we've talked about we're mother one <laughs> we've talked about mother one and mother three about sanctuaries about music about the visual style uh, how about venus she's she's a great she's has some great musical numbers in her too doesn't she <laughs> oh yes i do like, <laughs> venus is nice i think it's really cute when the, if you watch the musical performances in this game you'll see like the Runaway Five successful in, tu- in Tucson, then uh, struggling a little bit in Foreside. Then you'll see Venus sing in Foreside, and you can and you can meet her mother in I forget if she lives in Winnet or Tucson, but like like uh, in a in a house in one of those cities. They mentioned that their daughter uh, left to go to the big city to be a singer, and then later in the game you see the Runaway Five performing with Venus, and uh, like sort of skits happen in each of those performances, and most of them are optional. I think you only really need to see The Runaway Five twice, but there's, like, five different performances that you can watch in the different music venues in the game. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see, what else is there? Uh, how about just the absurd items and equipment that you find? I love a lot of uh, Jeff's items, like <laughs> the bottle rockets, the big bottle rocket, the multi-bottle rocket. His oh, weapons are so guns. He can... Uh, he can he can fix items to become gadgets to use in battle, and he can uh, yeah. he, he he can build I, them in, he can build them uh, he can build them from broken equipment at night if his IQ is high enough. Mm-hmm. I I really like that that idea of finding junk and making it into something new and useful for him. It's a neat touch. 
And, and he and depending on what he has, he's either like your strongest party member or your most useless because he can't use magic. But multi bottled ro rockets are like the most damaging thing in the whole game. Oh, that's the best thing to spend your money on. I don't care. Buy them all. Buy them yeah. all for Jeff. Yeah. No. When, when you when they become available to buy, just like break the bank on multi bottled rockets. Then call your dad, get more money, and continue to buy multi bottled <laughs> rockets. But. Uh, one other thing, I, I, I mentioned food a second ago, or at least I mentioned items and made me think of food. Um, you go to restaurants and grocery stores and convenience stores to get food items that are healing uh, for you, but uh, the, you, the different characters have different tastes and preferences with food, and I think some food will just poison poo, if he, uh, except for, like, rice and water. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, don't give him a, don't give him a soda, don't give him a sandwich. It's not going to help him. Yeah, I, I think he likes rice and water, and if you flavor something with miso, then he likes it. But otherwise, he's the pickiest character in the whole game. He can only equip three pieces of equipment and one sword. Uh, he can barely eat any food. And, no. and, and, and you can season food with, like, ketchup packets for extra bonuses, but that, that doesn't always work either. I, I, Don't I, give I, hot sauce. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I, think, yeah. I think putting ketchup on a burger, like, doubles the healing value of the burger for Ness or Paula or Jeff, but just, like... But again, Pooh loses HP for most food in the game. Even though it's very rudimentary, like any kind of cooking system at all for a 1994 <laughs> Super Nintendo RPG is maybe not a mind blow, but pretty damn impressive. Now, you mentioned about Poe's equipment. Now, just a mm, question sure. for all. Did anybody ever get the sword? Nope. <laughs> I, men I mentioned I played this game three times. I got the sword the second time, but I used the fast-forward option liberally, I used save states uh -huh. liber liberally, and I completely cheesed my way to getting that sword, which I think is a 1 out of 200... 100, 128. It's a one, out, 1 out of 128 drop. So I, I cheesed my way to it, but I did have a save file with that sword on it at one point. Uh -huh. Oh, that's right. You, uh, Kat, you said you got this um, when you were on the live... When you're on the live stream, you had mentioned getting this before, right? Yes, I got in the same turns as Losi did within two, but I had done it on an emulator, so mm. technically it does not count since it wasn't on official console in yeah, my no. eye. Yeah, yeah, it, it's not a, if it's not on the console and not in a SNES classic, then it doesn't really count. That's why I, I, I said I did it, but it's not official. <laughs> and I and I, I I just threw an amendment your way, uh, allowing a SNES Classic because Earthbound is on the SNES Classic somehow in the in North America, but not Japan, which sure I enough. which I thought was a little crazy. Yeah, wow. That's how I played it. Let I'm me... ready for on the Switch. Just give it to me on the Switch. Life will be very great then. You no, know, I'm not. I'm a little surprised it isn't on the Switch. Let me let me double check and make sure I'm not completely. Uh, backwards no no th th that's correct it was on the north american snes classic but not the japanese super famicom classic which seems strange i think well, i think the the super famicom classic got like a fire emblem game or something in you know it, it, it got yeah it got it got mystery of the emblem which is fire emblem 3 mm -hmm. um yeah but we and we didn't get that in yeah they, the they also american got a one. they also got the first goemon game which is which is really good and they got a they got a different version of Street Fighter Two than we did, which is yep. not not that crazy because there's a there's like there's like eight versions of Street Fighter Two in the nineties. Yep. <laughs> now one of the um, things we haven't discussed for Earthbound that's actually one of my favorite little concepts is I love the fact that if you play the game for too long, 
your dad calls and actually have <laughs> right. a little bit of a sit, uh, talk to you about, hey, son, um, I understand you're on a journey, but I think you might want to take a break. We've and, been out there for a while now. Yes. And you do have the option to say, no, dad, I still want to go or be like, yes, I do want to stop. And if you say yes, the game automatically has to force you to reset or turn it off to continue again. I think that is just such a cool concept many games probably do not have today. And you know, that is nice. And sometimes I think that is a feature in some Nintendo games where they... Uh... Illusion of Gaia had it. Yeah, they, they recommend you turn off the game because they're worried about your eyes or something. But one of the thing about Ness's dad, uh, you never actually meet Ness's dad. He's always calling you on the phone, and he and he's telling you how much money was put into the ATM recently. And I always thought that was hilarious. This goes back to maybe Shigesato Itoi not being the biggest fan of capitalism, where maybe mm-hmm. Ness views his dad as nothing more than a voice and an ATM machine. <laughs> I mean, at the credit, that you see dad as a phone, so yeah, that's you, how you, I was visualized. Yeah, yeah, like he only speaks to his dad on the phone, so he visualizes his dad as a phone that tells him <laughs> how much money how much money is in his bank account. And, uh, and that's like, I think maybe a critique of the Japanese salary man that in order to provide for his family never has it has to work so hard that he's never able to see his family. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say the exact same thing. Makes me think of I don't know yeah. like uh, like the office in Ikiru or something for you uh, uh, for you. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Akira Kurosawa fans out there. Well, let's what? see, man. What what have, what have we avoided talking about? Hey, oh, I got something. Um, what was your favorite thing and your favorite food and the name of your dog the most recent time you played? Because oh um, I think I think the default in uh, in the American version, your favorite food is steak, and your favorite mm-hmm. thing is rockin'. But in Japan, your favorite thing is ramen, and your favorite and your favorite thing is love. So it's it, it's like PK love <laughs> is the uh, is the ultimate attack, and and uh, I I think that's what it was. But but um, what, what was your favorite foods and favorite things when you most recently played the game? Um. Well, my dog's name was Kitten. I, what I came sure, up with. Sure, makes sense. Subversive. <laughs> that, that, that's a very that's a very Monsters Inc. move of you. <laughs> My favorite food, of course, is magic pudding because you need that pudding when you go against your nightmare. It is an essential. And what was the third one? Uh, your favorite thing, the what, what the rockin' or love spell is. Oh well, well, what I wanted to put wasn't appropriate, so I just put mmm. Mmm. <laughs> what? What? Mmm. <laughs> it wasn't RPG fan appropriate, we would say. Mmm. Oof. Mmm. <laughs> now I should, I'm curious. Should I communicate? Yeah, it only be six letters. So. I wonder how far we could podcast communi- communicating <laughs> just in mmm. Your, your imagination can go wild. Uh, the last time I played the game, I think I made my favorite food. Uh, I like I couldn't fit in mashed potatoes, and then I, I and then I'm also not sure I could fit in potatoes. <laughs> oh, you meant the food of the choices? Yeah. Oh, like no, 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 at, at, at the beginning of the game, when you when you make a bunch of choices, you name your team and your dog, and you say your favorite oh, food and and your right. and your spell. Scratch that. Pancakes. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You were talking about magic pudding, which is an, a, a PP healing item near the end of the game. Yeah, I was I okay. I was confused for a second. That's why I got confused too. But right, no, my right. cake. Yeah. I th- anyway, I put in mashers as my favorite food because I don't. I think that <laughs> I didn't have enough characters to put in mashed potatoes. And my favorite thing, I think I also put in mashers. So just it, I, it was a very potato themed playthrough of the game. <laughs> 
Um, and I named my uh, and I named my dog Rosie because that was the name of the of uh, my dog at the time. Um, Joe or Hillary, do you remember what you uh, made any of those choices at the beginning, the last time you played? Which for Joe, yeah. I think, was two months ago. <laughs> it was. It was like eight months ago. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> sure. Still single digit. Um, still single digit months. We're talking here. Well, it was so. My favorite thing was music. So sign music. Um, my favorite food. I don't really remember. I. I. So what's your actual favorite food? I accept that uh, as, a, as a substitute. <laughs> I don't really have a favorite food. I don't. Uh, I'm. I'm just kind of like I will inhale these calories so I can continue living. All right. <laughs> uh, Joe's favorite food is Soylent Green. Yeah, totally, one hundred percent. Oh my! And I named the um, I I think the default name of the dog was King. Is that right? I think so. Um, the, yeah. The, the dog is Bony in Mother Three, but I forget the default dog in, in I think in the Earth, Earth I think dog. It, it I think is. it was. I just looked it up in the walkthrough. It is king. Okay, yep. cool. That was, yep. I just went with the default because I'm boring. All right, Hillary, do you, do you remember your favorite food thing or dog? Um, yeah, so fun story, kind of. Um, I'm doing kind of a tag team playthrough, actually, now. So oh. I, that, was my most, that is my most recent playthrough. Oh. So I started it, and we, we named the characters after the members of the last Earthbound podcast. So necessarily, <laughs> um, let's see, Paula's Kagan. Um, I think Jeff is Fenfen for Fenner. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm, I'm Prince Pooh. Did you, did you name him Prince Sue or Moo or something? <laughs> Prince Sulu. <laughs> Prince, Prince Sulu. Got it. Yeah, oh, Mr. Sulu. Uh, a nice, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the George Takei of that podcast. Oh it was probably my. just solo, actually, yes. <laughs> oh my, indeed. Um, yeah, so that was cute. So uh, what was the favorite thing and what was the dog? The favorite thing was just a string of music notes, because I thought sure. that was really cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the dog, I think King got me thinking, like, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, so his name is Gawain, because I thought oh, that was sure. a good dog right. name. Nice. Yeah. I don't know if there's any green knights in Earthbound, but yeah, that, that, that is a good Arthurian legend name. Yeah, uh, I, I think we, we, we haven't exactly exhausted everything to talk about in Earthbound because this is a multi-layered game that goes weird places and has affected a lot of people, even represented in you know your undertales and one pieces of the world today. But this is such a unique, special game. I, I think the only game I can really compare to it that's come since is either Mother 3 or games directly influenced by Earthbound. There's, there's really very little else like it that isn't trying to emulate it. It, uh, it set a standard for sort of RPG comedy and RPG absurdism and, uh, and, and, has, and creates some really incredible moments within the game that it's being streamed uh, 25 years later after it came out. Is that right, Kat? Yeah, I mean, I see people all the time doing anything from speedrun categories to casual that Earthbound is on Twitch, so you can find somewhere, someone somewhere playing it. It's been a cult hit basically since it existed and is, uh, 
has been mainstream, or at least part of the mainstream Nintendo canon since uh, Super Smash Brothers, when Joe heard about it for the first time as a wee uh, baby of of three months old in 1999. Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm not that young. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, everyone under 30 in in RPG fan is basically a baby. Which is, ve- not a, which, is very, not a which is very unfair of me. But still, I mean, perception is everything, right? Fine. <laughs> it's, it's an RPG I recommend for anybody. Any age, anyone who's a fan of RPGs, get Earthbound, try it out. It is a zany world of fun. But maybe check online if you're not sure how to give that guy in Tucson his wad of money. Because otherwise that, that could, you know, sit sour you on the game for a year if you're an 11 year old boy in 1997 or if you get stuck waiting what two three actual minutes for one of three the minutes behind great yeah balls. yeah you yep. have to you have yep. to you have to stand in place for three minutes and that's the you password can, and, you, and you can't move the controller you can't touch anything it's pretty much your bathroom break i think as a child that was the only time i was ever still for three minutes in my entire childhood <laughs> But okay, I think we're near the end of the episode. We've uh, we've uh, there's a lot to talk about with Earthbound. We might even do a fourth Earthbound episode somewhere down the line. And I'm sure sign that, me up. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure Kat's already made the made the card <laughs> and is, is already asking around and assembling the panel without me. But uh, this is a, a, a like I, I've said this I've said these adjectives over and over this podcast. This is a unique, special, weird RPG that I that is worth playing for any fans of, fan of RPGs. But I think we're also near the episode, so near the end of the episode. So uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us on this revisitation of Earthbound, and thank you, uh, Joe, Cat, and Hillary for joining me on this. Um, again, I, I haven't played this game since I since replaying it in 2017, but it's a it's a game I, I still think about because it's there, there's so much to it, really. I adore it, no matter when I first played it when I was seven to where I am today. It's a game I can always turn to and just relive all the good moments. Yeah, it's also very meta, very ahead of its time, worth looking at at multiple points. So if I were to maybe try a Mother 3 podcast sometime in 2020, uh, how interested would the three of you be? Yep, some yep. I've Mm -hmm. never played it. Yeah, I've never played Mother 3. I played it right when the translation came out in the Earthbound community. Um, Yeah. I mean, I can just honestly emulate it, so I can be like, "Oh, I played it. Cool." Oh, oh yeah. We're, we aren't keeping any secrets here. Like, if we were to play it for the podcast, that's how it would happen. Okay, and I'm the, sure um, I would get my hands on it then and we, give it a whirl. We would, we would be able to find it. I suggest you start with a website called Google.com. But, oh, I've heard mm-hmm. of that. Right? And Google's. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a hidden it's a secret internet trick. Something but, I didn't know about Mother the Three, though, I thought that the dragons were dinosaurs this whole time. I oh. thought they were dinos. <laughs> They're dragons. Okay, I, I, I think we definitely all need to stop podcasting and go, and go to bed. <laughs> we were talking about it, so. Uh, all right, listeners, thank you for uh, putting up with all of this <laughs> for, the, for the past uh, hour plus. Um, uh, we are RPG Fans Retro Encounter. We're a podcast on RPGFan.com. RPGFan.com also has uh, internet message boards, a Facebook page, a Twitter page, an Instagram page, a Discord server, uh, Twitch streaming basically every night of the week with Kat as one of our regular streamers. Yes. 
and uh, many, many things that you can uh, find starting fr at, from the same origin, RPGFan.com. We also are only one of a family of podcasts. There's also Random Encounter, which focuses on randomness and current events and is hosted by Greg Delmage, and Rhythm Encounter, which is a music podcast that has been on hiatus for several uh, months or probably a few years by now. Uh, and also the newest member of the RPG Fan Podcast family is Phoenix Edge, a podcast uh, hosted on YouTube by uh, by Robert Hatfield and uh, and his uh, cadre of podcasters. Um, they post weekly and mostly focus on current events. But uh, my dear panelists, if um, listeners want to reach out to you directly, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, starting with you, Hillary. So I am uh, EP Fire on Discord, and that's a good way to reach me. Also, just Hillary A at RPGFan.com. Uh, Hillary... Um, Co-writes uh, a lot of small things on the on the website. Like like uh, you take part in features often, and you're a regular podcast guest. Uh, but but really, your main rule is that you're one of the you're one of the proofreaders and editors that makes all of our completely messy, ramshackle <laughs> junkyard of junkyards of paragraphs uh, come out beautiful when we finally publish them. Uh, that's not quite fair to you all, but yes, proofreading is my main task. All right, and Joe, how can listeners find you? Uh, so y'all can find me on uh, social media from RPG fans, uh, Facebook and Twitter predominantly. Uh, but you can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Discord as at Queers for Fears. So come at me with all of your uh, all of your analyses of Shigesato Itoi's uh, work in Earthbound and Viva la Revolucion, you know? <laughs> and Joe, you're uh, also one of our uh, one of our voices of social media, so if um, if our listeners uh, are interacting with RPG Fan on Facebook or Twitter, or probably not Instagram, because I think, I think Steph rules Instagram with an iron fist, um, <laughs> but, but um, very often you are the person they're interacting with direct directly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Myself, Nelson, Lucy. It'll be one of us, it'll be one of us three, and we're all one mind. <laughs> oh my! Okay. Yeah, that's uh, pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I don't. I don't know how that trick works. I'll have to ask Steph. Um, uh, but Kat, uh, how can listeners reach you directly should they choose to? Well, the best way would be on Monday nights whenever I'm playing a game through RPG Fan. But if you cannot tune into those for me live, you can always see me on Instagram slash the Nerdy Cat with two T's and a K. All right, RPG fan on Twitch.tv on Monday nights. Yes, <laughs> and we've mentioned several uh, times in this podcast that you uh, you streamed um, Earthbound for Extra Life on uh, what was that? Would that have Saturday. been um, yeah, yeah, Saturday, October first? I'm sorry, Saturday, November first? No, <laughs> Saturday, November second. Wow. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with the months and days and numbers of the calendar. We're all tired. Don't worry. Hang yeah. it in there. Okay. Uh, thank you, Kat. Uh, now, listeners, if you want to reach the podcast directly, the best way to do so is to email retro at rpgfan.com. Uh, that goes to an email list that I check uh, multiple times a week. And if you want to reach me directly, you can find me on Twitter as at the Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs other times, and on uh, Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. So, woof. Uh, well, I don't know. We still have a lot of topics left. I think I can go another hour on Earthbound. What do you What do you three think? Yep, sign mm, me up. Okay, I'm ready. Right. You know what? Uh, ca uh, cancel that. Instead of one hour, we're gonna go zero hours. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Good night. Good luck. And fuzzy pickles. Yes. Fuzzy pickles. Fuzzy pickles. Fuzzy pickles. Fuzzy pickles.